DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Locke scheduled to join us here momentarily. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan at 8.30. Hoping to talk to Joe Ingles in the 9 o'clock hour. We got uh, Kyle Whittingham with that quote. It caught your fancy, PK. He says he has not missed a workout in 4,000 days. Give or take, what's an impressive thing you've done? It's up on Facebook. Now we've got family discord, strife, cheap shotting, giggling at each other. Steve Alsop says, I've cheered for the Mariners for 35 years. Mm. Never won a World Series. Never been to a World Series. No. Michelle, Michelle Alsop Furness, who I assume is a sister. Steve. Ha ha, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> she posted that on Facebook, just going at him. You don't really root for teams. You haven't rooted for a team that's tortured you for that long? No. What would be the most impressive fan rooting for a team? Just like hopeless, you are hardcore if you've done it. Well, I think it would I mean, have been the Cubs and the Red Sox until they won. Right. So who has ascended to that throne now that they have broken through? And in the case of the Red Sox, broken through, what, if they won three or four World Series? I mean, they're racking them up. Yeah. The Cubs got one. Uh Sacramento Kings seem to have sucked for a long time. Uh, the Saints sucked for a long time, but then they got their Super Bowl, so you got to scratch them off the list. It seems like since they've been having, since they had Breeze, they've been good for a long time. The Cleveland Browns. Which version, though? Yeah, they did have a little hiatus there. Yeah, because I don't really count the old Browns. They had good teams. They didn't win the championship. The Seattle Mariners have had good teams, but you know they won playoff series. I mean, I think that's all you can ask for as a fan. Get in the playoffs and win some of those. Well, have your team be competitive. And that's where the Kings, they so rarely go to the postseason. Yeah. They had that five-year run. They were good. Yeah, they gave them a taste. Right. And as quick as they after, got there, after, they fell away. Yeah, after 15 years of nothing. Right. And that's been followed by 15 more years of nothing. Right. They moved from Kansas City in the mid-'80s. And they got their new building, and now they got another new uh, – they got this other thing that's this dude built, and – but they still just suck, man. Detroit Lions, Cleveland Indians, as far as championship droughts. And the, the Lions have won one playoff game since 1957. That's brutal. One playoff game win in 62 years, and that really sucks. It do. But Steve's cheered for the Mariners for 35 years, so that's but something. But it's hard to get in the NFL playoffs. In the NBA, you ought to stumble into it every few years. In some years, you don't even have to win more games than you lose. Right. 16 of the 30. And the NFL is 12 of the 32. That's hard. But you still shouldn't have one playoff in 62 years. I understand that. But it is a higher bar. Maybe not in the NFC East this year, but most years. You got to get to 10 wins to get in. Yeah, I think if you get to 10 wins in the NFL, you've had a pretty good season. Most of the 10-win teams get in. Occasionally, they get left out. 10 wins, to me, is like 50 in the NBA. Patriots were the odd team that got left out. Yeah, I think 10, 50, 90. Aren't those the numbers? 10 in the the NFL, you're pretty good. 50 in the NBA, you're pretty good. 90 in baseball, you're pretty good. 90-win teams get left out sometimes, but not very often. Yeah, I can buy all that. So, there is some, just some... Runs. That's where your management comes in, and they have to take the hit. And that's that's where I've said the thing that drives me crazy. And I'm not. I don't have a big pro team that I live and die by. I don't really live and die by anything. But the thing that drives me nuts is the repeated rebuilding. Because every time you make a coaching change, you basically give him three years to say, "Well, you know, we're building toward it." And and if it happens four times in 15 years, you're building toward it. No, you're not. You're building toward nothing. <laughs> you're just riding in circles. Yeah. All right, DJ, PK, and David Locke joining us now on the Sprint special guest line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Doing well. You? I'm great. Well, I just dropped the kids off with their eight pairs of skis between the two of them or something, whatever crazy it was. We just, one's going to race, one's going to ski. So it's all good. 
Is it all good with the Utah Jazz? Did you see what you needed to see in the win against Minnesota? No, they're back on track. That stretch or the last six out of eight was just a stretch. Or Minnesota's not very good. You got your concerns, and this is something that's going to play out over a long period of time. I think we saw more passes, um, which I've never always been the biggest believer that passes lead to success. But I think on this for this team, there does seem to be a correlation between how many passes you throw um, and I think, you know, you can go back to the so last, like five years ago, we averaged like 385 passes a game, probably excessive. We didn't have a team that could beat anyone one-on-one. So everything had to be manufactured. And then if you go back to like the Oklahoma city game opening night, we threw 260 passes. So that was the natural kind of, the way I look back at that is that that's the natural way this roster would play if it wasn't coached. Is in its opening game, they they have a lot of scores, a lot of number one options in their career, and they all they all shoot. And so there were 260 passes in the opening night. Now Oklahoma City gets physical and makes it tough against Minnesota the other night. I think it was about 330 or 340. So you're seeing some growth in that regard. Um, and you're seeing, and they're, I think they're averaging now about 294 a game. So you're seeing that number increase, and that's, I think, signs that they're, they're beginning to play with the pass more and play together. Relative to Joe Ingles, in regard to starting, coming off the bench, rotations, lineups, whatever it might be, what's it going to take to get him to play at the level that he played the other night? Because when he plays at that level, obviously the team is much better. Well, there's a few things. I mean, one is uh, when he has the ball in his hands, he cannot pass to himself. So his greatest strength is to be a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, He's been a career 50% corner three shooter. He's been a plus 40% catch-and-shoot guy. And he's not been a great off-the-bounce three-point shooter. This year, I think he was around 24% for much of the year, one of the four or five lowest in the NBA for the volume he was taking. And so when he plays with the ball in his hands, you are cutting down a little bit on what his personal efficiency is going to be. That was true, too, last year. If you recall, if he played without Howell Meadow, without Ricky Rubio, so he was the point guard, his numbers personally were not very good. They were actually pretty close to what they are right now. So there's a little bit of, you know, if you're going to make him play point guard, you're taking away some of his strengths. It might be good for the team, the second thing is that, for whatever weird reason, his corner three shooting is bizarrely bad right now. I think he's – could look it up, but I think he's – I can't remember if he got a corner three the other night, but if he didn't, he's about 2 of 21 or 2 of 23 from, from that spot. So call it, you know, he's below 10%. He's been career 50%, 45% in that range. If he was 10 of 22 right now, which is what he should be, and you added those eight three-pointers on, all of his numbers would look a lot more normal, and we would be less worried about things. So I have a theory on this, and I wonder if the numbers to back it up, because these numbers are like onions, and you know you just keep peeling back, and there's another layer. I think he's shooting worse from the corner in part because people no longer leave him. I think all the uh, two-point shots that Donovan takes, either pull-ups at the free-throw line or the floater or all that, He's ended up taking those because he can't throw it to the corner because they're not leaving. They are not leaving. And the ones that Joe has taken have probably been, for the most part, a little more contested than anyone would prefer because he isn't that open. Are you buying that or am I up in the night? I mean, I think your logic's 100%. I don't think the numbers would show that. Um, any team that leaves the strong side corners incompetent in the NBA, that's like the first sign that a coach has no idea what they're doing. Um, or that a player has no idea what they're doing. Like Minnesota. So it's usually a weak, so it's usually a weak side corner play, which is the, I think it's you know Rubio's Nash dribble to the corner shooter, and that's just not a play that Donovan or Mike makes very often. So I think that's why he's not getting that look as much, and I think it's because he's playing almost exclusively with the ball in his hands, and he's on the floor without Mike because um, Emmanuel's not a natural point guard. So. Uh, though Emmanuel's played really well recently, so tip of the hat to him. Um, and beyond just making shots on Emmanuel, Emmanuel's just played the game right. Um, but the uh, I, I 
I, I think all of your logic is right, but, I mean, they knew who he was last year and he still got him. So I think it has to do with just personnel changes and style changes. And then I just think Joe didn't – I think the other thing is that, you know what, Joe didn't shoot very well to start the year. Like, Joe, at some point – like, I don't mean this meat. Like, at some point we love Joe, so we make every excuse in the world for him. But, like, really when it gets right down to it, it's kind of on Joe. Like, not like he's been a 13-year starter who suddenly has to come off the bench. He was a two- or three-year starter. Like – at some point, you know, Joe just needs to play better, and he's beginning to. I put out a tweet a couple of days ago, why the Jazz would be okay. Quinn Snyder's a leader. Colts are strong. Players are good. Dante will improve. What makes you say Dante will improve? Well, because I really think he can't get any worse than he is right now because I think what we're asking him to do or what we're expecting out of him is just totally unfair. So he'll get better. Like, the idea that a player – comes out of an injury and then nine months later is equal or better than he was when he got injured is just like foolhardy. And that seems to me like what is the expectation on Dante right now. The problem is that we're too good. If we weren't any good, you could just roll Dante out for 22 minutes right now and let him get his sea legs back and be awful for a month and then start to get better and get back to showing some signs and continuing his, you know, rocky, inconsistent development that he's had due to injuries. But we're too good for that. Like, every time we lose, it's catastrophic. And we're trying to, you know, get home court advantage in a loaded top six West. And so there's just no room for Dante to come out and not be very good. But, you know, he, I mean, and, and I don't mean this even like, I'm not like, I'm not trying to be critical. Like, I don't think there's any reason why anyone should ever expect Dante to be any good right now. He hadn't played in virtually nine months or whatever it was and seven months and he's coming off another leg injury and you know he was okay before he got injured but he was he was a little up and down I mean as good as he was in the blowout against the New York Knicks that has everyone excited which I find to be irrelevant he was one of 10 against Oklahoma City when they got into him so which was you know six games before his injury so there were still you know wild inconsistencies out of him he's not at the level that he was before the injury and so he'll get better he'll at least get to that point and then he should he's stronger and physically working and he's got a great mentality toward things so he should he should be a little bit better which gives us a little bit more depth but right now you cannot use even his strengths because he's he's struggling just generally with this everything about the game understandably so but even his like great defensive efforts when I think our offensive rating when he's on the floor is like a 76 or something insane. Like, it's just, he's just limited. He's just, it's not, you know, it's too fast for him right now. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You think Mike Conley sitting out a few games, hitting reset, watching him play, blessing in disguise, or that's just reaching to make everything positive? So I was reading a text message I just got from some smart Alec, so I didn't hear your question. Mike Conley. A, a few. By the way, everybody, that smart Alec is David James. I did. He's texting me while I'm doing an interview with him, which means he's not listening to my answers at all. I or was. he's commenting on how stupid welcome. he thought my answer yeah. was. No, in my world. Didn't. Who let it happen, DJ? Come on, throw someone under the bus, Mr. Happy. I, everyone's buddy. Minutes. Only ripped people in text messages to me. Hey, everyone's. Everyone's buddy is everyone's buddy is your fault. Let's put you under the bus. You're the one who okay. came up with it, and it stuck, and Every, it irritates PK to this buddy, day. David James, no, but never offend anyone. Who, what Utah Jazz player allowed a strong side corner three? No, you misread the text. Minnesota left Niang and gifted him a three, and it's one of the reasons I'm a little uh, slow to embrace this win. It's fixing everything. Go back and watch the play when they take the 20-point lead and they're all laughing going to the huddle. They left Niang on a strong well, side three and gifted him a wide-open shot. Well, I think I would hold to my quote that I had earlier in the show then. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. Okay. Right. All right, so Mike Conley is out. Is there a chance that missing a few games, watching him play, hitting reset is going to help him a lot, or is that just reaching to make everything positive? Uh, that's the hope. How's that? <laughs> okay. Could be. Um, we hope yeah, it's I, the first one. We're afraid it's the second one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, the what happened to Mike Conley is obviously a huge adjustment, and we can talk about all the X's and O's about it. Um, and, you know, the transfer, transformation from 
Jaron Jackson and Mark Gasol popping bigs to a rolling big and all, you know, the different offensive system and different spacing. But I think as much as anything happened is you have this guy who's teammate of the year who, for the first time in 788 games, was playing in a new uniform, wanted to please everybody immensely, and it didn't go right. And then when it didn't go right, it avalanched on him a little bit. And I think he just got way out of sorts and couldn't because nothing was normal from the drive to the game to the arena he was playing in to the locker room he was getting dressed in to where his kids were going during the day. Since none of it was normal, I just think he had a really hard time getting settled. And whether he and at that point you don't even know what when you when none of it's normal you don't know what settled is. So hopefully this gets him settled um, and he's more productive. I do think the one thing they could do with him, and maybe that's what's been discovered here, this is one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the NBA. He has not done it a lot because he plays with the ball in his hand so much. And it's kind of where they started the year with him was not having the ball in his hand so much and using the catch-and-shoot. But then when he struggled, everyone went – Everybody adapted to try to make Mike comfortable by putting the ball back in his hands and let him play with the ball. And on made shots, always make sure Mike's bringing it up and get him going. I might, I wouldn't be surprised they don't revert back a little bit to where Quinn started, which was like everybody go, Joe bring it up, and let Mike play off the ball a little bit because he's really one of the great catch and shoot guys in the NBA. And maybe that's how Mike ends up taking six or seven threes a game is that some of them are on catch and shoot instead of off the bounce, high pick and rolls. So most teams are at the 25-game mark, and we see a little separation. You already mentioned the top six in the standings in the West. Do you think this is basically what the standings will be the rest of the year, or do you foresee movement, and if so, what teams are going where? So statistically, uh, at the 20th game of the year, you you can usually grab 15 of the 16 teams or playoff teams that are an eight and eight in each conference. Um, I think the eight in the East are set, right? Like, is there anyone? Orlando and Brooklyn are eight and seven and eight right now. Uh, yeah, Orlando's two games under five hundred, and Charlotte is five games under five hundred. That'd be eighth and ninth. Yeah, so the East is set. Like, I, I would put a lot down if I was allowed to bet on the NBA that those are the eight playoff teams. In what order, I'm not sure, but it's pretty clear those are the eight playoff teams. So now, it, numer- you know, tr- historically, it means one of the Western Conference teams flips out, which probably means that either Sacramento. What is it right now? Because I think it's going to be Oklahoma City. If Oklahoma City doesn't make trades, OKC, Phoenix, if, Aaron, if DeAndre Ayton doesn't destroy them, or um, Sacramento. Sacramento, I think, will be the playoff teams. But I, I, Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox returning does, you know, is good for Sacramento's future and bad for their current. Um, and so... I'm not sure that I'm not sure Marvin Bagley returning actually makes Sacramento better right now. Um, so I if and I'm not sure DeAndre Ayton makes Phoenix better. Frankly, that's I think going to be the most interesting thing is these two teams integrate their future pieces. It's going to make both of them less good. Um, so I think Oklahoma City, if they don't break this thing up, is going to be a play is a solid probably seven seed. I've thought so all year. They're all right. good. At the other end of the Western Conference, are the Lakers and Clippers going to finish 1-2? What's the Rockets' record right now? The Rockets right now are 16-8. and eight. They are two games behind the Clippers. They are five and a half behind the Lakers. And they're yeah, fourth because they're, they're a game behind the Mavericks. Um, yeah, Dallas. Let's, I'll evaluate Dallas on January 1st. They're playing. They're finally playing an NBA. They're playing a hard NBA schedule for the next twenty days. So let's see what happens. Um, James Harden is having a better year and a more dominating year than I think is being given credit for, and he is overshadowing how horrendous Russell Westbrook really is, and how detrimental he is to a team's offense. Um, if they can quiet the negative of Russell Westbrook at all, Houston could, and they, Eric Gordon comes back and plays healthy instead of the way he did earlier in the year, Houston could make a run uh, to that top group. Westbrook should be, actually, Harden, there actually should not, I know it's Giannis, Luca, Harden conversation, it actually should just be Harden. Like, it's 
What Harden's doing offensively is so much better than anyone else in the NBA by such a large margin. It's almost Steph Curry uh, three or four years ago. Like he's having that kind of an impact on games. I don't, I don't, I think we're bored of it. I, I don't think we quite grasp it. Um, but his offensive impact and what he's doing on a team where virtually everybody else is playing terribly. Uh, Clint Capella's okay, but Russell is really awful um, offensively. And for him to be carrying them the way he is is tremendous. So if they, they get rid of their negatives at all, they could make a real run because Russell is just on another – I mean, James is just on another level. David, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes, and we'll listen to you on the Warrior game tonight. We'll look forward to it and um, look at teams that give up the strong side corner three. Okay. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mark Harlan, Utah Athletic Director, is next. Follow DJ and PK on Twitter where the show never ends. At David DJ James and PK Kinahan. You're locked on to DJ and PK. Presented by WCF Insurance. Reminding you to be careful out there. This is 97.5 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we are joined now by Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. Mark, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? We're doing well this morning. So uh, the commissioner has been in the news talking about uh, an 18 playoff, and I think it really resonates with the Utes since they were sitting right there in the five spot before the Pac-12 title game, sweating whether they would get in or not. how good do you feel about what he's saying and where this might be going when the contract's up in five or six years? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I'm interested in exploring what that would look like. I mean, I've always wondered um, from the very beginning, take away this year, but I've always wondered what that what that would look like, how it would affect conference championship games, um, the regular season, you know, all those things. But I, I do think, as we've been through this now for, for a bit, the conversation of of looking into it and, and, and really looking at consequences, both good and, and bad, is something that we absolutely should do as we, as we head toward the backside of the original deal. Yeah, so last Friday night, you know, you guys do your press conference with Kyle and the kids, and we're down there. And then I make my way up to the press box, and they got the Cristobal feed in the press box. So I sit down, and I can hear, and I can actually see him on the television. And the first question that I saw him, he'd already been doing it for a little bit, but the first question that I saw him answer was, hey, you know, you played Auburn. And even it with, say, you played uh, like Baylor's schedule, which was Stephen F. Austin, San Antonio, and Rice, you know, three teams you're expected to beat, and obviously they did. Say you went that route, didn't play all a team the caliber of Auburn, even with a three-point loss to the Devils, you could be considered strongly to be in the playoff, and then that would benefit the conference in multiple ways, obviously, including the University of Utah sliding up to the Rose Bowl. And his answer was, well, our kids want to play the best, so we're not going to stop doing that. Plus, I think there needs to be a premium and put on conference titles, teams that win the conference title. There needs to be more weight on that. I'm sitting there looking at it, listening to him, and I go, I thought to myself, I agree completely. We are not putting enough weight. Now, it, it so happens this year the four teams won their conference title, but there's been others in the past where it hasn't happened. Can we get to the situation where we can put weight, especially on the Pac-12, which has to play nine games? Yeah, well... I think it was last year, if I recall, where Ohio State, you know, won the conference and and got leapfrogged by an SEC team. If it wasn't last year, it was the year before. Right. And I and I, I even think I saw Gene Smith, AD at Ohio State, who I don't know well personally, but I have great respect for him. I think he resigned from the committee, uh, which he admitted this last year over that issue because he really felt that, you know, that was one of the key parameters uh, or at least bonus points if you will and 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 that didn't happen so i think since that moment there's been a lot of conversation um about that i i really do think that that was was something the committee this year was really focused on um but getting back to the earlier question about you know uh, the 18 playoff i mean obviously the biggest benefit is it would i would imagine any model would would take in the five power five champions and 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 the at-large and maybe the g5 from there 
But I think it's really important. I mean, I, just going through this incredible year that we had in, in, the, in, the, in the chase for the championship, the, the league championship, you know, SC keeping us keeping us on our toes all year after after losing to them in September. You know, we didn't win that championship game, but all the effort that that we would have expended if we had won that, um, you know, I think we would have been more than deserving for that opportunity. Um, but I agree. I, I think winning a P5 championship is deserve of some type of playoff consideration on an annual basis. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan joining us here. Uh, there have been stories written all around the country about attendance and no-shows, and, uh, and I think you know it's something you're working on at the University of Utah, too. And I know most of the money comes from TV, but TV loves the passionate studio audience, not the empty seats. And I know this is an issue around the conference as well. Where do you think you're going as a school, and where do you think the conference is going, trying to at least get the people who are buying tickets to use them so it does look better on TV, and uh, that'll be an issue when the TV deal's up? Well, I mean, we... We we haven't we don't have all the data yet from the home season. We're actually compiling all of that right now as we speak. I think there was a narrative that we had more empty seats this year than certainly my first year, um, and I think it's something we have to really look into. I think we need to reach out to those folks, find out you know what their reasonings were because we scan and track all that stuff. So we got to really dig into the data. I think that's really important. But overall. I mean, I thought this year was, was uh, you know, we had we didn't have as many night games as we had uh, the year before last. We had a lot of really bad weather games. Uh, I was talking to Witt about it more than he remembers. So I think there were some contributing factors to all of that. Um, I don't think you overreact, but you certainly don't underreact to it. As far as going forward, you know, I think the league has a lot of decisions to make ahead, and, and, and I say that collectively, right, the athletic directors with the presidents and chancellors, what what's going to be most important to us in this next deal? You know, I was at UCLA when the first deal was cut, and I remember as clear as day, you know, here's $3.5 billion, let's go, right? And we went from $6 million or $7 million per school to $30-plus million per school, and the ability for us to invest in our programs and do all those things was, was really important, and I think it's lifted our league. Well, what did we give up? We give up complete control of our of our start times and I mean, I, my first brick in the head was last year. I think I talked to you guys about this when I, 12 days before the BYU game, they said we're going to kick off at 8:25, and we had a snowstorm scheduled. You know, so that was that was my first moment coming back to the conference and saying, "Holy smokes!" You know, how do how do you do that? Um, so I think when it comes down to it, we're going to have to look at our values. We're going to have to look at at, at all the feedback we've gotten, and we, we're probably going to have to take some of those things back. Now it's going to cost us. I mean, the TV executives have been pretty clear. It's going to cost us some, but then can we regain that in 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 our fan base of being appreciative of that um, and, and given a chance uh, to have more people in the seats? But it's going to be a very interesting conversation going forward for sure. I thought the Morgan Scali situation sent a powerful message to everybody in the conference and maybe throughout the country. We're not going to be undersold. We've got a guy that we want to keep. We're going to pay him whatever the market value is, and if that means we've got to increase it, so be it. But we are not going to lose guys just because we can't afford it. We're going to take that step to do that. With that in mind, how did that work? What are you comfortable in saying in terms of did Kyle approach you or did you go to him and whatever you can give us on those details? Well, I think it just goes back to, you know, uh, Morgan and what he represents um, and, frankly, how good he is. Uh, I've just been so impressed with him uh, from the moment I got here. Um, you know, it, just being very candid, the, you know, maybe the narrative uh, coming in was that it's wits defense and, you know, those kind of things. And so maybe that was my impression coming in and certainly uh, – you know, which which philosophies are all over, but I saw clearly that that Morgan's running that thing, and the way he leads, the way his guys talk about him. When we do exit interviews with student athletes, um, what they what they say about him, the influence on their lives. So, you know, I, I believe strongly. Um, at the end of the day, this business has got a lot of stuff that's flying around, but it's all about people and having having a a people in the organization in all spots that you can. And he's one of those a people. And when you have one. Uh, you keep people off them, and you know I think Whit and I came together on that one really quick, um, and uh, really excited that uh, you know we, we're keeping the band together, so to speak. Mark Harlan, Utah Athletic Director, joining us here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the Zone. So 
what is the your your top priority? The one thing you've watched this for a couple of years now. What do you really want to accomplish in the short run at Utah? You talking about collectively or with the football program? Anything. I mean, you're the Utah AD, so football's the big dog. I get that, but something <laughs> you've seen that you really want to. I know. So, but, but something you really want to do because you've seen this and you know you can do it. Whatever well, it is. Well, I, no, I, I appreciate the question. I, I think what I've what I've really thought through over the last bit of time is, and we've seen this this fall, you know, with our fall sports and the way they the kind of seasons they've had is the ability for us to climb competitively across all our sports, right? And what is it going to take to do that? How do we invest to do that? How do we get people rallied to do that? Um, raise the bar, um, but also at the same time, making sure us as an administration is providing the resources and the things that we need to do that. And to see our volleyball team tonight competing in the Sweet 16, um, you know, to see our soccer team get into to, to the NCAA playoffs, you know, our cross-country team having the highest finish ever, all the while our football team competing, you know, in the top five for the last month of the year. Um, you know, all of those things is, is who I believe we can be. Um, you know, I said from the very beginning that, you know, the, the confetti is, is, has left the room, so to speak, for our entrance into the Pac-12. Now it's time for us to win, you know, across all the platform of sports. You know, at the same time, having the highest graduation rate uh, in the conference. You know, and so if you put all those things together, you've got a real special, special place that kids want to come in and, and, and study and compete. So the idea here is to create a, a regular pattern of that across all our sports. And what I've seen so far with the kind of support we have, with the kind of staff we have, coaches and students, there's no reason why we can't do this on a regular basis. Back to the Scally thing, there's been at least public speculation that he's viewed as coach in waiting. What's your thought on that? Well, I think he's got all the, the skill set to do it. I mean, I think he's he's a special guy. You guys know him. Um, I know a lot of people probably listening know him because he's been in this community uh, for so long. But um, I, I would think he would be an incredible uh, uh, option um, when Kyle decides he wants to golf 36 holes a day and spend some time in Hawaii and all the other things that he might want to do in his future. I think he would be an incredible candidate. Well, Mark, we appreciate a few minutes with you this morning and look forward to having you on the show again. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. All right. Mark Harlan, Utah Athletic Director, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And coming on a little early here today, I thought it was going to be at 9 o'clock, but uh, Joe Ingles is going to join us here as the Jazz get ready to play the Warriors tonight. Originally, Joe was going to join us yesterday, but then weather in Minnesota, and they changed the flight back, and he ended up flying during our show yesterday. So Joe's going to pop on the air with us right now. Real quick before we get him, PK, your takeaway from that interview. That was a pretty strong endorsement of Morgan Scally right there. He really was. He, to, yeah. Listening to that and having no conversation with Mark off the air whatsoever about it, I thought he wants him to be the coach in waiting, but he doesn't want to use that term. But that's how it sounded. That was a strong, what would you say, rec- I don't know, recommendation is the right word? Endorsement. But Endorsement, that's yeah. a good word, yeah. Either, either one of them, I think. Yeah. So. And then that's great for Utah. I, I believe Utah should have somebody who understands Utah. I think it's important for our state schools to have that. All right, DJ, PK, and time now for Joe Ingles. Joe joins us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? <laughs> you know, you look fantastic. It's way more fun to win by 20 than lose by 20. Watching you guys coming off the court during a timeout for a timeout in the third quarter, and everybody was smiling. It's a lot more fun when you're up by 20, Joe. This is true. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just 
I think, like you said, at the end of the day, um, obviously winning is, is a lot more fun. And um, I guess not just winning, but the, the way we were, we were able to do it and um, play together, uh, move the ball. Obviously, defensively, I think we were pretty solid. Um, they obviously got some points kind of towards the end, which made it a little closer. Um, but yeah, I think uh, overall it was, it was nice to get a win. And um, obviously now it's about kind of moving forward and, and building on that, that one game. Joe, I'm turning over a new leaf, man. I am demanding that you play like you did against Minnesota for the next, uh, whatever it is, 53 games or whatever you've got. You must do it, Joe. I'm holding you accountable because the way you played the other night was awesome and you're going to win a lot of ball games when you play like that. So you better start doing it. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. I knew that was going to be the answer. Come on, man. I <laughs> can't have hilarious. you just being out there. Oh, I just fit in. I'm just, you know, whatever the team needs. No, no, I need you. The first two times. How many times have you ever played the game where you take it baseline and then you also score in the second possession? You score the team's first two, first four points, I think it was, because you made up your mind. You're just kicking butt. That's what it was. I need you to make up your mind you're going to kick butt from here on out. Here on out. Okay. I Don't give me, okay. give me more than okay. Give me, you got it, PK. You can count on me. It will be done. Next question. You Ready, go. You got it, PK. You can count on me. I kind of put an American accent on and sound really old, but. <laughs> I thought there was a certain amount of sarcasm and dismissiveness mixed into the recipe there. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean, uh, people probably get, sick of me saying it and I obviously say it a lot but I'm going to obviously play to, to win the game and um, when I'm out there and obviously trying to be aggressive and trying to get my teammates involved and, and get stops and, and do all that but if it's me shooting it, great. If it's not me shooting it then like I said it's the, the aim of the the game and the aim of a team sport is to win and, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to do so um, I think there's definitely times like you mentioned there's there's probably times that I can be more aggressive than I have been this year or, or different times, picking and choosing my time. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, if we, we win, I'm, I'm happy. It, so did the coaches talk to you before? Is it an ongoing thing? You just took it to heart more this time or is just what you saw in the moment at the start of the game? Because I did think you were noticeably – more aggressive and attack-minded, and I didn't think it just dropped out of the sky just unexpectedly. Um, I mean, honestly, it was... I kind of just... Which I've said before, too, is like just trying to feel out the game a little bit. And um, the, the first play that we drew up at the, the start of the game was for me. Um, and it was actually to come off and, and try and shoot that three on the baseline, and, and he... Sh- Shot the gap over the top, so I was able to kind of just drive. And um, I mean, the second position, I just got a rebound, and obviously, with our team, whoever kind of rebounds it, except Rudy, um, and I'm not ashamed to say that because he gets an offensive foul every time he dribbles. Um, but every <laughs> whoever gets it, it's it's kind of get the rebound and go. We want to play with pace, and um, obviously, the second one, I got the rebound, and um, I hate shooting mid-range pull-ups like that, but he kind of backed up a little bit and it was open. So if if opportunities, I guess, like that come up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obviously take them. And, um, I mean, if, if I didn't get that rebound or Rudy rebounds that passes to Donovan, then I'm going to go to the corner. So it's just kind of the way it is, the way the way it goes sometimes. I, I did say to Donovan the first time out that I, I felt like, I needed to pass more because I felt like I'd shot every every time I touched the ball. So um, he told me to keep shooting, and um, yeah, it was just uh, a lot of the time. It's just kind of how the game plays out a little bit. Is they're obviously they obviously have a scouting report. They have things they want to stop and things they want to do. And um, yeah, I was able to to make a few shots the other night. So it's all good. And I get what you're saying as far as that. Uh, but maybe not so much you, you to an extent, but maybe Donovan more to an extent. Sometimes rather than just take what's there, 
more, not force the issue, but look for your better players to have more opportunities because if they succeed, when you when you go 23-5-5, and five, that ball club's going to win 90% of the games. There's just no other way around it. Is there some balance there between taking what's available and something along the lines of trying to exert your will upon the situation? Oh, for sure. I think you um, – I mean, for us, we want to get kind of Donovan, Boyard, Mike, Rudy, all these guys as, as many shots and touches as we can because they get paid what they get paid and they get the, the, the recognition that, that they get because of who they are and what they've done and, and the confidence that, that obviously we have in them. And um, Obviously, I feel like I, I, I can really help our team at times and um, – I think for us, it's, and that's been one of the things, is, is figuring out kind of when we're all out there together um, and there's three of us out there or four of us out there or whatever it is, um, trying to figure out the best way that we can, can obviously kind of all be effective and all, all make it make it work and um, not taking turns of who's got the ball, but um, making sure kind of we're all involved and... Um, I guess looking looking for the weakness on their team as well. If if someone's guarding me, then maybe it's me playing pick and roll with Rudy. If it's they're on Boyan or they're on Donovan or whoever it is, trying to find um, times and, and offense and, and certain situations that we can um, ha- have that person being aggressive. But at the end of the day, we, we all want to play aggressively and downhill and, and get in the paint and, and unselfishly and... Um, uh, I don't think we've ever not been that team, that unselfish team. But um, yeah, we're just obviously putting it all together and making it work is different to, to to wanting to do it. So I think we've the games we've done it, we've done it well. We've 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 been really good. The, the games we've we haven't really done it, and we haven't got stops, and we haven't done it, and we've, we've, we haven't played well. You know, there are uh, there there's so much analytics, and there's so many people crunching numbers and on computers at jazz games. It's amazing. And I'm wondering how much of that gets shared with you guys. Does Quinn Snyder give you, I don't know, three or five or ten goals? I mean, obviously the final score is the big goal. But inside a game like that, do they give you some other numbers to hit? Uh, not necessarily every game. We've got some things that we, we focus on every game that, that are kind of like non-negotiables that we um, we we're just, I guess, just expected to do if we're playing well or not, um, or if we're scoring or not, or if we're getting stops or not. Um, so we we have some things that we we talk about, um, I guess, daily, really. That that are, like I said, non-negotiables. If you're out on the floor, you're expected to do these things, and and then obviously, like so kind of within the game, there's there's, there's different things you try and do. Different teams. Um, kind of have different things they're good at and, and certain things you want to take away. So we we always have, um, I guess, more of a specific focus in, in in some games, depending on, or not in every game, but different things depending on who we're playing. So um, there's always things we go into the game thinking about and trying to do. And um, that's what I said, I think it was last week, at the end of the day, that's on... That's on us to do. Coach can't go out there and do it. Once he tells us what the game plan is and what we need to do, the the players need to go out and execute it. So um, that part's on us. And and that's where we've been good and bad this year. We've had some games we've executed really well and played really well. And we've had games that, um, not that I really want to bring them up, but games that we haven't and we've we've got blown out and, and, and look really bad. So um, we, we know where that line is. We know when when we do those things and we do them at a, at a high level, we, we can beat anyone in this league. And when we don't, we can, we can lose to anyone. So, um, yeah, we need to obviously make sure we bring it every night. So whether it's film work, uh, team practice, individual practice, whatever it might be, what's the best way for the team to collectively improve? <laughs> um, probably all those things and playing games. Um, I think, Early on in the year, you obviously have more time to have practices and shoot-arounds depending on your schedule. Um, like I said the other week too, is we, we hadn't had many times to, to practice before um, our last kind of two-day break not long ago. And um, film, uh, I think film's a huge one to be able to 
Um, obviously, like I said, you can't always get out there and practice, but to be able to sit there and um, film and, and watch what you're doing wrong, it's it's pretty clear when you, you're sitting there watching film um, <laughs> what you've made mistakes in. The, the, the coach kind of always says it, but the film doesn't lie. It's right in front of you, and it's, and it's pretty clear. So um, film is a huge part of it. And then I think the other part is, is just playing games. And, um, there's no better no better way to get better than, than to be out there together and, and playing and getting used to each other, um, which obviously is what the preseason games are for and training camp and all that. But, um, it sometimes takes more time than a, a couple of weeks. So um, I think we're figuring out. I think we, we're slowly getting there. I think we're, we're learning the right way um, that we want to play, that's the right way for our team. That, that, that keeps everyone involved and, and obviously defensively our identity is, um, is that. We've, we've got to get stops and run out of it. So, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll continue to get better. I, I, I know everyone kind of freaks out and, and obviously gets upset probably that, that we, we lost and, and we're losing the games we were losing and stuff and the way we were losing them. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's a long season and we, we, take those losses pretty pretty heavy and we we learn from it and we try and get better. Um, that's what we're trying to do each game. You know, you get a lot of new players this year and it's a different sport, but I thought of the Jazz last night watching some post-game interviews after the Baltimore Ravens won the NFL game and I know that's you know not really your sport, but I think it still applies. No, I don't know who won. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, but it still applies. The coach is getting interviewed in a hallway and players are coming by and breaking in on camera and they're laughing and clearly there are a couple inside jokes because he laughed really hard and he was immediately asked, how much does camaraderie figure into winning and losing? And his answer he just – a lot. It's a guy who's coached a long time, so he's probably had teams that liked each other and maybe some teams that didn't like each other. And I'm curious, with so many new guys, how much you're building that camaraderie and how much better you know guys now in December than you did in November versus how well you're going to know them in February after more road trips and all that and how much that factors into all the X's and O's stuff we always ask you about. Oh, big time. Uh, I think that's um, – and I don't like – kind of referring to the last year's group or the, the group we had the last couple of years because we're obviously a different team and, and whatever. But I think um, two years ago when we, we first got, got Ricky and, and all those, we kind of had that uh, new group. And um, I remember early on in the year, we had the same thing of everyone freaking out because we weren't, we weren't playing well. And, and obviously that's granted, like I said, we have, Really nice, really good fans that understand the game, and um, we we weren't playing well. And I think if you looked at our team, and, and I'm not saying this is going to take two years, but the, the difference, what we were, how we were playing the end of last year up until the playoffs, um, we were we were playing unbelievably, and that's getting to know each other and, and getting used to the system um, for, for Ricky and Jay, who, who we just traded for at the time, and. Um, Again, and, and kind of going to what you said, when, when you have a great group of guys, um, that group we had, obviously everyone knows, it was pretty public how, how close we were. And, um, definitely not saying this group isn't, because this group is, is right up there with that team of, of, of camaraderie and, and closeness, but um, you're still trying to figure it out on court. We, we've, got, we've, got so, we've got so many new guys this year, and that's that's definitely. I'm not saying that as an excuse, but it's it is different. You're playing with. Uh, I mean, even I was. We were talking about the other day from my first the first couple of years I was here. There's only three of us here from that first team. So um, that's a lot of a lot of different players when you you've got 17 guys on a roster, um, 15 obviously in two two ways, and um, to have 14 new guys kind of learn a system and. And no disrespect to Dante, but he's obviously been in and out of that as well. So me and Rudy are really the only two that have consistently played over the last um, kind of five or six years. So um, it does take time. And, I mean, I don't want the fans to think it's going to take two years like it did with the other group. <laughs> I don't think it will. I think we're, we're further ahead now than we were with, with the group that we had there. Um, but it, it takes time. You, you kind of learn different... Um, things that different guys do and the way they want to play and where guys want to get their shots from. And, and like I said earlier, when, 
when different guys can be aggressive, when it's time for me to bring it up and, and Donovan to play off the ball or when it's time for, for Emmanuel to come in and be aggressive with Jeff or wh- whoever it is, but it, it takes time and that's as um, annoying as it sounds, it's just the way it is with sport sometimes and um, if we were playing an individual sport, we could go and play tennis and, and that's all on me. If I win or lose, it's, it's my fault majority of the time unless you've got a really bad coach. Um, but it's a team sport. We've got 15 guys we've, we've got to incorporate and, and, and feel good and, and feel good within our team. So, um, like I said, I've, I've got no doubt and 100% confidence that we're going to figure it out and obviously, hopefully sooner than later and um, we'll, be, we'll be talking about a lot more positive things than, than we are or have been for the last week or two. How fun is it to see Steve Kerr and the Warriors suck? That was uh, extremely random. Um, <laughs> Why are you playing them? What do you mean? <laughs> no, just, I mean, we were talking about the Jazz, and then I thought you were going to say something else about Steve Kerr, but you uh, just went right at it. Um, I mean, they've, I don't feel bad for them because they had so much success for so long, and they right. were, what did they win, 73 games a few years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And, um, I honestly think a part of it is, is, and with every team is is the luck you have. Sometimes it's you can be as have as good a team or not. But they were obviously, and that's a credit to their medical staff and, and probably their their scheduling and how I don't know whatever they do with their, their days and practices and, and all that. But they, they've been really healthy for for a long time and and little things here and there. But to have your main team majority of the time for four or five years is is pretty impressive. So. Um, obviously, you you never want to see guys injured, and I I, I don't mean that. Um, obviously, I'm not I'm not glad these guys that they've got are injured because you the fans want to see the best players play. We want to play against the best players, but um, yeah, I mean it's it, it is uh, funny in a way that that, that it, it all came kind of crashing down so quickly because obviously, still if they have their roster that they've got now 100 percent healthy, they're obviously um, very similar to the team that's, that's been in the finals for however long. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's obviously it's a disappointing injury wise, but um, and I, and I wish them all the best in getting healthy. But um, I'm happy um, that they're taking a break. <laughs> hey, I'm curious uh, when you go to Minnesota or you know on other trips, Milwaukee, Toronto, you just go way north to some place where it's cold and you got to de-ice the plane and Sometimes the flight gets delayed to the next day because of weather and all that stuff. I don't. Is there anywhere in you mean in, like yesterday? Well, yeah, this most recent trip. But I figure it's not the only time it's happened to you in the NBA either. And I was wondering if there was anywhere that was that cold in Australia or that cold when you no. played in Europe. If you had to go no. to Russia for the no. Euroleague, no, no, no. <laughs> We're not de-icing anything in Australia for starters. <laughs> okay. Um. Maybe yeah. I mean. Maybe Russia or somewhere where I played, but I, I never, I don't remember in my career ever having to stay the night um, because of a plane, except obviously here in the States. So it's extremely frustrating. Um, so for people that don't know, it's um, as, as glamorous a life as it is, I'm not going to say we're, we're, we're unlucky in any way, but we, we finished the game. Uh, we went to. We usually obviously go straight to the airport most of the time, and we sat on the plane for a couple of hours, um, and then after two or three hours or whatever it was, they told us that there was a mechanical issue, so we had to get off the thing, um, stay the night in Minnesota. So we go back to the hotel at like one thirty-two. We stayed the night. We got up at eight thirty for a nine o'clock bus to go back to the airport to sit on the plane again the next day for a while because it was snowing um, and then finally took off and got home at about, I think, 1 or 1.30 or something yesterday yesterday afternoon. So, um, not ideal, but and I'm not complaining, like I said, because everyone will think I'm complaining about sitting on a charter flight and nice hotels or whatever. But, um, yeah, got back late in the afternoon and then a few of us came into the facility right away and... And then, obviously, now I've just pulled up the shoot around, so um, we'll get ready for tonight. 
So is rest and regular rest just a real issue all season? I mean, it is. Um, I mean, it's hard to get consistent. Like when you <laughs> sit on a plane for a couple of hours and then get to a hotel at 2 o'clock in the morning and um, I spoke to a few guys, I think it's like when stuff like that, you can't just walk into the room and fall asleep right away. I'm, I'm sure some people can, but it, it takes a bit of time. So I probably went to sleep 3, 3.30 by the time I kind of relaxed and finally got in bed and then... Um, yeah, we're up obviously pretty early, and, I, and that's just um, a little bit of it, just the scheduling and, and all that. You, you've got to fly, you've got to get home, you've got to play back to back, you've got to play certain games. So the our medical staff do a great job of, of um, staying in cities when they think it's a good idea to, to try and get some more rest or, or flying right to the next city. Um, maybe we've got a day off or, or whatever it is. So um, it's on kind of on them obviously scheduling wise to make sure we we are in the best kind of place we need to be and then obviously on the players to, to do what you need to do recovery wise if it's seeing a, a massage therapist or, or or sleeping in or, or whatever it is um trying to get as much rest as you can to be to be ready for the game tonight well joe we appreciate a few minutes we know you got to go to shoot around thanks for checking in with us and uh, good luck and we'll talk to you again next week appreciate it thanks guys Joe Ingles joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Thanks to Joe and Mark Harlan and David Locke all in a row. we got to take a break. Back with more in a moment on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. You're locked on to DJ and PK. Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio show for over a decade. Whoa! Presented by WCF Insurance. Reminding you to be careful out there. This, this is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Definitely not saying this group isn't, because this group is right up there with that team of camaraderie and, and closeness, but you're still trying to figure it out on court. There's Joe Ingles. He just joined us along with Mark Harlan back-to-back there. A couple of heavy hitters checking in right on top of each other. Yeah, both those guys like me a lot, so they want to come on. <laughs> I don't know if Joe likes you after that Steve Kirk question. <laughs> it's obvious. It was obvious. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think he did like it, honestly. <laughs> I mean, he has to play like that. How could you say that? But inside, he was like, eh, that was funny. I don't want to see anybody get injured because I enjoy watching Steph Curry and Clay Thompson play basketball. <laughs> They're so entertaining, I right? I would like to see them play. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's good to see the Warriors not be back again and again and again and again. Well, it's the, it's the common theme across all sports that when you win the first time, it's charming and everyone feels good for you. And then progressively, as you win more and more, people hate you. I mean, your fan base still loves you, but all the other fan bases, they turn against you. And it's well, happened to the Patriots in the see, NFL. I don't, I don't have any problem with the Patriots, though. But it's still, I, I get it, but you're not wired. You're not hardcore tied into another fan base. Other fan bases want their turn, and they're sick of the Patriots. But you don't get your turn. It doesn't work that way. I understand that. But it's you... just The thing about the NBA is it's so individually dominated. Football is 22 guys, 45 guys, blah, blah, blah. 53 guys. So right. it's all that other stuff that go in. You know, For all the greatness of Tom Brady, he doesn't win that one Super Bowl unless uh, Malcolm makes that. or the, Pick at the interception. The, the interception Seahawks of the Seahawks decide the dumb thing to do. <laughs> We've got a great running back, but let's throw the ball. Yeah, so basketball, the stars are going to win most likely. And if they're, if they're not going to win, they're gonna, if it's not the stars, then it's a role player that the stars set up. Yes, and the stars get you close even if the role player makes the play that gets you across the finish line. Yeah, and it's because of the star that the role player has the opportunity to be in that mm-hmm. position. Yep. So basketball is so different that way. And we're seeing that with the Lakers and Clippers. They get a couple of stars, and they elevate themselves right to the top of the West, where the Warriors had been until they're a couple of stars. Got I'd just like to see something new. We've seen that show for a little bit. I'm, I'm Obviously, I want the Jazz to win, but if the Jazz don't win, I, I'm, I would love to sit down for a seven-game series in a Western Conference final between the two L.A. teams. That would float my boat. It's interesting to see. We'll have to do that on another day, run a poll and see how much. Because there's, I think with the Clippers, people might be with you. I got it. 
but the Lakers, it goes right but, back to the fan base has seen them win but so But see, often. I'm talking about competition. Yeah, it'd be four, it'd be four big-time yeah. stars, and, it, and they both got talented rosters behind them. I get the Lakers them. have been there a million times, right. and you don't like them. But if the Jazz stuff. aren't in the conference finals, would you rather see Clippers-Rockets, Lakers-Rockets, no, or Lakers-Clippers? I'd rather see Clippers-Lakers. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.